0: We are in week four of this Ruthless Elimination of Hurry series, and I can clearly see that it's impacting a lot of you because I've heard a lot of conversations, people calling me and texting me saying, I've been making some adjustments. Uh, It's it's taken from a book by the same title, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, a guy named John Mark Comer. I recommend you read it. It's a great book. And what he does in that is he points out to this crazy pace that we live our life, We're constantly running around like chickens with our head cut off and we don't know which way is up. And he says, listen, one one thing that might be a problem is that you might be going too hard. So let's look at the life of Jesus and let's see the practices that Jesus lived by that we could implement into our own lives and maybe slow things down. And by doing so, we could actually be that, uh, the, the thing that, that uh, Stephanie was just talking about, that, you know, Jesus changes everything. He changes your stress level. He changes your heart. He changes your capacity to have relationship, and all these things add up just by impl- implementing these practices into our life. And so, so far, we talked about two of the four practices he lines outlines. Uh, the first one is the practice of Sabbath. Sabbath is a day of rest and worship, and there's a lot of ways of understanding Sabbath, but the way that I pitched it to you by the way remember as a church family we have a challenge every single week and the goal is that everyone's expected to try to do their best they can on this challenge every week it's going to help us be better apprentices of Jesus Uh, no matter where you are on your faith walk even if you're just getting started today or if you've been in it for a long time you can start here and so our first challenge about Sabbath was like look we don't grow up in Sabbath in our culture that's a Jewish uh, thing and and we don't get it and if you were raised in the church you might have been like I didn't think we had to do that like isn't that out the door we don't do that But Jesus did it. He practiced it, and it builds so much margin in our hearts and in our minds. My challenge for you was it's hard to start with a whole day of Sabbath. What if you could carve out five hours of your week? That was my challenge. And so my challenge was to carve out five hours of your week, and then for four consecutive weeks, practice at least that five hours of Sabbath. How has that gone? We were on week three last weekend. I'm going to tell you, it's getting hard for me on week three. Uh, the Sabbath that I carved out on my calendar, I started putting some little things in there and I actually had to, had to come to Jesus a little bit and be like, all right, do I have to do this today? Can I do it a different day? So um, last week we talked about the practice of simplicity. And my challenge was simply go home and simplify a corner of your life. This was primarily about materialism and how much trust and, uh, and significance we put in our stuff and how much stuff do we have versus how much stuff do we need. And my challenge was simple, like go clean up a closet. Go throw some stuff away, give some stuff away, uh, organize some things. Because these small steps and practices will lead us to a deeper relationship with God and capacity for relationships. And so that's the first two. The third one we're getting into today is slowing. Slowing. John Mark Comer tells an old story about a different approach to the pace at which we live our life. I want to read you an excerpt from his book. He says, "The story goes like this. It's the height of British colonialism. An English traveler lands in Africa, so a British guy, intent on a rapid journey into the jungle. He charters some local porters to carry his supplies, and after an exhausting day of travel all on foot, a fitful night's sleep, he gets up to continue his journey." But the porters refuse to move. Exasperated, he begins to cajole and bribe and plead, but nothing works. They will not move an inch. So naturally he asked them, why? Why won't you just get up? Why aren't we paying you good money? would not you just get up? Their answer, they said, well, we are waiting for our souls to catch up with our bodies. Now, I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but you see the point. I love the culture shock of this this African uh, porter compared to this European traveler who says, dude, we went really hard yesterday. We should probably sleep in, right? That's basically the point. He's waiting for his soul to catch up with his body. His simple solution was sometimes you need to slow down. The discipline is slowing. Uh, There's a lot of Christian teachers, some guys, uh, a guy named Richard Foster, another guy named John Ortberg. These are guys who have explored spiritual disciplines in our life, like how do we grow spiritually? And John Ortberg gives a great definition of slowing. He calls it cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to wait. So what's the value we're working on? What's the virtue? patience slowing is not about being frustrating other people because you don't go fast enough it's about learning patience i don't like to wait i don't want to slow down i like to go 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 but when we look at the life of jesus we see a different picture we don't see a guy who's go 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 we see someone who's always got his eyes up and looking to the people around him and yes his tasks are urgent But he's always got time to stop. Slowing. And we're really going to love people the way that Jesus loved people. We're going to have to learn to slow. This is another line from the book that has stuck with me hard. The line is this. Love and hurry are incompatible. Stop and think about that. One of the times that you're the least loving is when you ain't got time for them. One of the times you have felt truly loved, it is when someone took the time for you. Love and hurry are incompatible. I want you to write that on your soul because we live in a world that doesn't believe it. We think we can just love people by throwing some money at them or just being nice for just a second. Love and hurry are incompatible. and So there's a lot of stories from Jesus' life that we could look at to see this. I mean, really, I can't think of one where you don't see it. Um, but one of my favorites is from Mark chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 today. That's going to be our study. Uh, you can look it up on your phone. You can grab it. If you need a Bible, we've got a, a, a shelf of bibles there by the door feel free to go grab one at any time uh, to borrow or to keep you know write your name in the front cover it's yours we want people to have good bibles Um, and so we're in the book of mark and this is one of the biographies of the life of jesus and when we get to chapter five jesus has already had a crazy busy day And we're not gonna read this story, but I'll give you just a little Cliff's Note version. He's been with a demon-possessed man all morning. In fact, not just one demon, but a demon that calls himself Legion, which means there are many demons in this person. And I'm just telling you, Jesus was probably tired after this encounter, okay? He's done. He's done for the day. He gets in the boat, and we're gonna pick him up in verse 21. It turns out he's not done. There are a lot more people who want his attention, a lot more tasks he has to do. And so we get to verse 21, and this is where we find him. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And I don't know how Jairus knew that Jesus had the power to heal people. My guess was that his reputation had preceded him. My guess was actually that they actually kind of knew each other. This is not just an impassioned plea from a a worried parent, as many of you could just understand. This is also, Jairus is a synagogue leader in this this community. The synagogue is basically like a, a, a church, So he's a a religious leader. And so Jesus, as a visiting teacher, a visiting rabbi, there's a good chance he probably knew Jairus ahead of time. So it's not only just like an impassioned plea from a parent and and from a religious leader and a community leader, but also this could have been a personal request from a friend. Like, dude, I know you got a lot going on. I heard about what happened over on the other side of the lake this morning. But my, my daughter's dying, and I know you can help her. Will you please Come. But Jesus doesn't have an ambulance. Uh, he can't flip on the sirens and just get over there. In fact, he's in the middle of like a human traffic jam right now. Let's look at what happened with him. Verse 24, so Jesus went with him, but a large crowd followed and pressed against him. And my guess is Jesus is pushing his way through and his disciples are helping. Him. And I'm sure Jairus is being very vocal, like, make way, excuse me, come on. My daughter is sick, move, let the rabbi come through. But the people are all pressing on him. And, and this seems like the urgent need of the moment, right? If you're Jesus or if you're anybody, some of you guys are first responders, I know. And I know you're like, look, I get a call. We gotta go. We gotta go. This is our focus. But it turns out that this little girl is not the only one in need of help. Verse 25. There was a woman who was there. And she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. But instead of getting better... She was getting worse. You might know someone in your life who's had this situation. We can't figure out what's wrong. It's just getting worse. And there's a lot of speculation about what might have been wrong with this lady, and I'm not gonna get into that. I don't know. I don't have a clue. Uh, but there's some... There's some um, intuition you can get from it and stuff like that. And what it leads to that's really important, I think, for this story and for this lady is that not only was she sick and she was bleeding and she'd been like this for 12 years, but this condition actually made her like ceremonially unclean. She wouldn't have been allowed to participate in a lot of the religious things that they did in the community. She wouldn't have certainly been able to go into the temple or around the temple down in Jerusalem. She, she may not have been able to, some speculate, like even prepare meals for her family and do a lot of the normal stuff. But for 12 years, so she's dealing with this isolation. She probably feels unimportant. Uh, and like Jairus, Jairus, she had heard about Jesus's reputation. She's like, well, there's a guy who can help. And she's this close. Now, I don't know what it was that made her choose what she did. My guess is she, she believed in his power. We're going to find that out. But also she probably thought like, man, he surely doesn't have time for me today. Maybe she'd heard the buzz about what happened across the lake with a demon-possessed guy, and she obviously could see that they were on their way somewhere else. So she comes up with this desperate plan, actually a fairly superstitious plan, one that many of us modern and genius thinkers would be like, (laughs) you thought that would work? So her idea, check it out, verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. And then something amazing happened. She was healed. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped. She felt it in her body that she was freed from the suffering. She immediately knew. I, I would love to have seen her face just like, what? <laughs> like, it It worked? Wow, it worked? And she wasn't the only one who knew. Jesus' next line is really crazy. Look at verse 30. At once, Jesus realized this. Listen to this wild sentence. That power had gone out from him. I'm just going to take this at face value. I don't know what that means, but there's some sort of power flow. And Jesus just like, and it just kind of went off. And he felt it. He was like, something happened. And so uh, he turned around to the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? And my guess is he knew who it was. I don't know. He often would kind of play that game just to see what people would say. And his disciples are like, look at verse 31. Ah, will you see the crowd against you? His disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? In other words, like, what do you mean who touched you? Like, who's not touching you right now, Jesus? Everybody's touching you. Who touched your clothes? What do you mean? But Jesus kept looking around to see who it was. In verse 32, 33, he looked around to see who had done it. Then the woman knowing what had happened, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This might be one of Jesus' most amazing miracles because he kind of didn't do anything. (laughs) He was just there. It was this lady's faith I want to clarify. It wasn't that she touched his garment. There's there's tradition that people have special cloth and that this cloth is special. Jesus doesn't say you're right. You got you figured it out. It's my magic coat. I have my magic coat on today. And you no. He says it was your faith. You believe and God healed you. This is an incredible moment. The lady falls down in a worship like position in front of Jesus and she proclaims who Jesus is and. From what we see of Jesus in other places, now we don't get this in Mark, so forgive me. I'm going to fill in the blanks a little bit, and, and we'll see what you think. I'm thinking that at this moment, he kneels down, and he puts his hand on her head, and he probably prays with her. He might put his finger on her chin and have her look up at him. Like, she's, he's having this moment. You've seen this happen with Jesus in other places if you read his story. He may have prayed with her. He may have offered her some water. He might have got one of his guys, to help her up, man. Can't you see? She's She's exhausted. It doesn't say any of that in the book of Mark. And, and I'll tell you one reason why. Mark is uh, notoriously quick. Uh, some people call Mark the gospel of action because he's like, if, the word immediately is used all the time. In fact, I think we see it in just a second in this passage. And then immediately this happened, and immediately that happened. John, Mark did not read John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Simulation of Her. He, he, he was moving quick, but I think we can fill in the blanks here because when we see Jesus heal someone, he always takes a minute with them. I want to call this a moment of slowing. On an already busy day. And he's already got another appointment on the books. And literally, it is a life or death situation. He stops in this crowd, and he takes time with this lady. And we don't know how long Jesus stopped there. But what we do know is this. He did stop. In the middle of an emergency, he was still not too busy to love this lady. And all the while, I'm picturing Jairus. Remember Jairus? By the way, this is his story. She just totally came in and swiped it out. This is Jairus' story. And he's like, okay, all right. He's looking at his like Apple sundial or Samsung like, I don't know, time tape. You know, he's like, okay, all right. All right, can we get moving now? Like my daughter is sick at home. I'm really glad, ma'am. Okay, cool, but can we keep going? Verse 35. But while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. They said, your daughter, she's dead. So, why bother the teacher anymore? Come on, Jairus. We've got to plan a funeral. True to form, our writer, Mark, um, he doesn't give us a whole lot of details there. He keeps moving. He fast-forwards to the next thing, but I cannot fast-forward past this, okay? Can we sit in Jairus' life for just a second? He just found out, he had hope, okay? Jesus has power. Jesus is on his way. We're, we're hanging there, baby. We're almost there. And now that hope is just smashed. Your daughter is dead. And we don't get this detail, but I wonder what Jairus thought about in that moment. I, I think he might have been tempted to, to look at the lady and be like, you, you've been sick for 12 years. You couldn't, well, wait, you know, 12 more minutes. You get, well, you got touched touch the cloak. Like, come on, it's not your turn. It's my turn. Or could look at Jesus. I'm like, come on, man, we're buddies. I asked you to come to my house and you stopped to help this lady. She's a stranger. We're buddies. Like, it doesn't say that, so I don't want to throw Jairus under the bus like he's that kind of guy he might have been. I, don't, I, I would be tempted to be, wouldn't you? Because when things bad happen, we like to blame people. <laughs> if you'd have just done it a certain way, it'd have been different. But Jesus has more to say. Look at verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, oh, don't be afraid. Just believe. By the way, I know that sentence can be frustrating. What in the world does it mean to just believe? I know that you've been in places where you tried to believe real hard and it didn't work out. And so often when we hear the stories of Jesus and we hear these miraculous moments, we're like, well, why her and not me? Why them and not us? And I do think that's what the journey of our faith is about, is to understand that God doesn't always come in and change our circumstances. But what he always promises is that he'll change our hearts. He'll change our our spirit. He'll allow us to commune with him. and so. But that's his advice. Don't be afraid, just believe. Verse 37. So he didn't let anyone follow him except for Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. There were people crying and wailing loudly. This is a very cultural response to a death. He went in and he said to them, why all the commotion? And why all the wailing? To which all the people were like, what do you mean, wild the wailing? This, can't you see? Where it's, a, it's a funeral. Someone died. He says, but the child is not dead. She's just asleep. This is interesting, verse 40. But they laughed at him. Like it was so absurd what he said that they were like, <laughs> what? No, she's not sleeping. After he put them all out, he kicked them out of the house. He took the child's father and the mother and the disciples who were with him. And they went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha koum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately, thanks Mark, he likes to immediately do things. And immediately the girl stood up and she began to walk around the room. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. Wow, let's recap. Jesus had a busy day. <laughs> Demon-possessed guy, huge crowd, lady touches his cloak, Jairus gets mad, go to the house, run off the wailers, heals a little girl. And there are a lot of lessons we could pull from this. I've talked through this passage before and come with, from different angles. But I want you to see something slightly different today than maybe you intuitively see when you read this story. Because, yes, we could talk about the power of Jesus. We could talk about faith. We could talk about a lot of things. But what I want us to see today is more is less about what he actually did for these people And more about the pace at which he did it. He wasn't in a hurry. Hurry and love are incompatible. Like there is an urgency to all of these stories. And I think Jesus gives them the adequate amount of attention with each story. But there was never a moment where he was like, I don't have time for these people around me. I can't even look at them. I can't even acknowledge them. I'm going to take and do what I can right now. Even as he travels from urgency to urgency, he's always present in the moment that he's in. And that's a big lesson for all of us. Now, can you fix everything? Can you solve everyone's problem? No, no you can't. But you can be present. You can be present with people. Love and hurry are incompatible. On his journeys, Jesus always stopped in the middle of a busy day to squat down and talk to a little kid on the side of the road or to lean in for a hug with a homeless person, or to listen to a widow as she's heartbroken, or to hear from a terminally ill person who everybody else is outcast, or to eat lunch with someone that everyone else considers trash. Yeah, I care about you. I do have things I need to do, but while I'm here, I'm gonna be present with you. He's not in a rush. Jesus has arguably, and I would strongly argue that Jesus has the most important job ever, okay? So any of us who thought our jobs were important, okay, Jesus has the most important job ever, yet he still takes time with people. It's a huge lesson. We are not good at slowing down enough to see other people in their pain. S- some of you are. Some of you are great at it. But as a culture, we're not. We like to get angry about things. But what we got to understand about God's pace and patience and his love is that it's so much more about people than it is about production like we're not just trying to make something happen jesus put us here to be with each other in community and love each other that's why practicing slowing is really important because we live in a culture right now where we just don't ever stop we just keep going and going and going and by doing so by slowing we can like jesus we can get stuff done okay no one ever you know accused jesus of being a slouch and lazy bum no we can get stuff done But the things we get done will matter more. And I think that that's the goal. John Mark Comer uh, gives like 20 ways that he suggests that you practice slowing. And I'm not going to do all of those. You can read the book. They're really great. Uh, I'm just going to highlight a few of them because I think what we need, like any other lifting, like imagine weightlifting. We're in a gym and I, I work out right up there on that upstairs gym uh, several times a week. And like when I'm working on a new muscle group or want to do a new type of thing, you don't just go for like the biggest thing in the gym. You will hurt yourself and everyone will laugh at you. No, it's, first it's about form and technique. When we were in high school and doing weightlifting, I remember we had a stick, and the coach was like, Listen, when you do a power clean, like you're gonna use this, it was a broomstick. Do get the motions right, then add some weight, then add some more weight. I think the same thing's true with spiritual disciplines. And since we are generally not very good at slowing, I think we're gonna do some light lifting first. And so listen to some of these suggestions he gives. For example, he says, drive the speed limit. That's not yeah, right? (laughs) What? I thought I was safe at seven. You ever heard that phrase? Yeah, okay, you might not get a ticket, but listen, I'm gonna tell you, I did the math. You're not gonna get there much faster. You're not. You have to drive like 10 hours for it to make a big difference, okay? You drive the speed limit. Okay, now, I'm not saying drive the speed limit because you, you're breaking the law or because you don't wanna get a ticket. Like, no, I'm talking about as a spiritual discipline of practicing slowing, force yourself to wait. That's hard. Here's another one. Get in the slower lane. I don't wanna get in the slower lane. Isn't that why we have two lanes? This is the super fast lane, and this is the lane that who, those people, what's wrong with them, right? No, get in the slow. okay, you see where it's going. Uh, another one, come to a full stop at stop signs. You don't have to roll through that puppy. Just take a minute, let it rock back, then go. It's a discipline. Here's another one. Don't text and drive. Also, don't lie and say that you don't, Okay. Now, again, this is, I'm not saying this from a safety standpoint, which is also true. I'm saying it, it can wait. Wait till you get to the next stoplight at least. Wait till you get your next thing. It's so, we're in such a hurry. So these are deliberate. Now, did you notice that all four of those were in only one arena of our life? All of those were just driving, okay? You could do that every arena of your life. Find four things that you can slow down. Here's a couple from different areas. How about this one? Show up 10 minutes early for all of your appointments in one week. And do it without a phone. Like, I gotta tell you guys, I was really proud of y'all today. Everyone was at church on time, pretty much. That was really good, okay? So, those of you who weren't, like, you kind of slipped through. No one, I don't know if we noticed. Uh, we as a church culture, we're like habitually late for everything. Our whole culture, just late. We're just late, cool. And now, again, this isn't about some of the other reasons that that could be, it's about a discipline. I'm gonna make myself get there and make myself wait before it starts. It's interesting. Here's one getting the longest line when you check out at the grocery store. We talked about that in week one. I won't talk about it anymore. Here's another one. Turn your smartphone into a dumb phone. There's a lot of ways this could be applied. Uh, John Mark has a huge section about phones and media and how it affects our brains and our psychology and all this stuff. But what I'm talking about is actually the pressure that our phone puts on us to constantly go, 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 okay? And so specifically, maybe just turn off the notifications for your email and for Facebook Messenger and for whatever else is constantly your slave driver. It's okay to have those things, do it a couple times a day, but not every, you don't have to be at everyone's beck and call in a second. Take a minute. It's just a discipline of slowing down. Uh, delete apps that distract you. That's a big one. It, here, here's another one. He says, uh, and it's the same, same category, but he says, you know, we should give our phone a bedtime at night. He said, he said, parent your phone. Tell your phone what time it is and put it in its own room. It's 9 o'clock. Time to go to bed. And it's a discipline, some, some ideas. There's this church in Australia that I've heard of. He talks about them in the book as well. They have this like motto thing that they try to do. It's called win the day. And the concept of win the day is that before I touch my cell phone today, I'm going to have devotional time with God first. That's a pretty cool thing, win the day. I like that little thing. So I've been working on it for several weeks in my own life. Uh... I, I, my, my method right now is like, before I get my phone, I will lay in my bed and I will spend some time praying right then and there. I want to start my day off that way. Not like, what was the scores in the football games last night when I fell asleep at halftime? Like, I can find that out. So these are really things. Again, those are all in one category with your phone. Here's some more. I love this one. He says, don't binge watch a show. Ooh, sorry guys. what are we asking for here? I know, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, one or two episodes. Remember the old days when it just came on on Thursdays and you had to wait? That's what, okay, so my wife, did, my wife, Lindsay, she did an incredibly mean thing to me last week. But we were watching this show, there was only two episodes left, okay? And we were just pumped when, and it was bedtime, the kids went to bed, we're like, let's watch our show, right, watching our show. And then after the first episode, she's like, I'm tired, let's just watch the next one tomorrow. I'm like, later? It's just a cliffhanger, like we've gotta watch it right now. Here's the thing. I was frustrated in the moment, but like five days later, we finally got back to it. Guess what? It was still there. It was still there. And it was like we had wrapped up a gift for ourselves from the past to give to ourselves in the future. You don't have to watch all 13 episodes on Saturday. In fact, it's bad for you. Okay. So uh, let's see. He's got some more here. Oh, this is one. He says, single task. If you're proud of your multitasking ability, good for you. But listen to this quote. He says, multitasking is a sleight of hand for switching back and forth between a lot of different tasks so that I can do all of them poorly and none of them well. It's a way of thinking about multitasking too. Single task. Just ask yourself, can I just get this done and then do the next thing? Um, Theoretically, it would take the same amount of time and you would still get it all done, right? So, uh, in this last one. This is just very simple. He says, walk slower. Just go to a store sit in the parking lot and watch people try to get into Harris Teeter I mean it's like the place is burning down and they got to get something out of there and so I've been doing this i read this book several months ago and I've been all the time just like oh oh, oh, I'm just gonna slow down and it's like why is it taking so long um it may frustrate your spouse if you walk slower but maybe they'll grow spiritually too um so, so okay those are, he goes a lot more than that um here's the deal and it's what I want you to see. By doing some of these small acts, you'll be less distracted, you'll be in less of a rush, and you'll learn to live out this idea uh, that even in your packed schedule, you've actually got time for people. Love and hurry are incompatible. But practicing slowing gives you the relational space to interact with people. And so here's our challenge this week. Every week I give a challenge that I, I hope that you'll take it home and do it, and this is it. This week, choose an activity that you know you regularly rush through and find a way to force yourself to slow down. One of you told me this story a couple of weeks ago, you were reading through the book and you said, man, for me, it's brushing my teeth. And they have one of these electric toothbrushes. You got one that's like a two minute timer. Anybody got those? I don't have one right now, but I've had them in the past. And they were like, I cannot make it through the whole two minutes. Why does it take so long to brush my teeth? But they were like, every day, I'm like, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it two whole minutes through this brushing. And you know, Stick it to the devil. I'm going to brush my teeth for two minutes. Why can't we wait two minutes? But I loved it because they were saying, this has really helped me. to Because it makes you mindful of how much I'm rushing. So find something in your day. So here's something that I've done recently. uh, This past week, this was intentional. Three times this last week. I know I should have done it more. I did it three times though, okay? So pat me on the back. Three times this week before I left the house for the day, I sat down at our kitchen table and I ate a bowl of cereal. Yeah. I am more of a cereal bar kind of guy, you know, in the car, driving, talking on the phone, going to the next thing, but three different times. It's so much work, man. There's the bowl, there's the cereal, there's the milk, and then there's the tiny spoon. It's like 55 scoops. It takes forever to eat a bowl of cereal, but I did, I was like, I'm gonna eat the whole bowl of cereal, and something crazy happened. On the third day, my daughter came and sat with me, and we did every puzzle on the back of the cereal box together. When else in my life would I have done that with her? Now, is that a huge spiritual victory? Yay, you did the puzzle. No, that's lame. That is super low bar, okay? Like we are not celebrating this for Chris's spiritual growth, but we are because this is intentional. It's forcing myself to slow down and then I get this special time with my daughter and that happens in every arena of our life as we do that. There's this line from the book that's been etched in my head since I first read it. It's on page 27 if you have the book. You should underline it too and this is the line. It says, very little can be done with hurry. They can't be done better without it. You run that through the filter of your life and see if it's not true. You'll do your job better. You'll be a better parent, a better spouse. You'll be a better human being, a better citizen, and a better better Christ follower. If we just slow down and do it, Love and hurry are incompatible. I've got about five or six different things I've been trying uh, regularly in my life for this. I've been taking this challenge seriously for a long time and this is by no means to put me on a pedestal because I'm the worst at this, okay? I'm I'm tell you some of the things that have happened though because of this. In the last two weeks, I actually made a long list. I'm only gonna share a couple of the things I made that, that, that that I thought of. But because of this, I've been looking for areas where I've been able to grow relationally with people. And by slowing down, in the last two weeks, I had a chance to talk at length with a parent whose adult child is making a lot of terrible decisions. And they called me and they left a voicemail. I was like, oh, I I don't have time for this right now. But I was like, wait, no, I, I actually do. I actually have time for this. And I called them and I talked for like 30 minutes. And I didn't do anything. I just listened. But they needed that. Or I met a stranger at a coffee house this week who was between jobs. And he just was kind of like in need of a mentor, like someone to listen and give some advice. And after about 10 minutes into the conversation, I found that we were doing that. And I actually was... I needed to finish this sermon, (laughs) but I closed my laptop, and I put it away, and I just talked with this guy, and it was worth it. Uh, I met a homeless guy who really loves music, and uh, I saw something he was wearing, and it sparked up a conversation, and we talked for 15 minutes about music. We didn't have a Bible study. I didn't pray with him. I didn't baptize him, but it was good to be there for him and be present in the moment, and I did all the puzzles on the back of the cereal box with my daughter. I believe that each one of these opportunities was a chance to shine the light of Jesus into the life of of someone else. And if we can't start to master the small things, we're gonna fall all over ourselves on the big things. Um, I told you, I'm not the best at this, I might be the worst, Uh, but all around us, people are just zooming by the window. You know what they need? They need to know what you know about our God love and hurry are incompatible but patience mixed with love can change someone's life let's ruthlessly eliminate hurry through slowing i'd love to pray for you guys this morning